A few weeks ago, I wrote an article about how to write a book review. While writing, I discovered that I have, to date, written 392 book reviews, of which a list is available here. Many of my reviews are about pre-published books sent to me by the author or publisher via NetGalley or Goodreads, but I also review books of my choice. Examples of the latter include books by American author Jody Pico. Jody Pico, born 1966, is the author of over 25 novels that tackle a wide range of controversial or moral issues. She is adept at tackling matters in a sensitive, honest way, whether they involve abortion, assisted suicide, race relations, eugenics, LGBT rights, or school shootings. Jeff Hamilton and Brian Jones, the authors of Encyclopedia Contemporary Writers and Their Works, 2020, described Pico as a paradox, a hugely popular, at times controversial writer, ignored by academia, who questions notions of what constitutes literature simply by doing what she does best. I first came across Jody Pico in 2008 when my A-level religious studies tutor suggested reading my sister's keeper to help with our medical ethics module. Not only did I enjoy the book, but it also rekindled my love of reading. Pico's writing ability is exceptional, and her turn of phrases are almost poetical. It is no surprise that Pico has won at least 14 awards and honors. In 2014, I decided to write reviews of all Jody Pico's novels. So far, I have only managed to write about eight books, but I plan to continue this goal in the future. Although the 20-plus books on my to-read pile suggest this will not be achieved anytime soon. My Sister's Keeper, Review 2015 If you use one of your children to save the life of another, are you being a good mother or a very bad one? My Sister's Keeper was the first Jody Pico novel I read. I have since read all Pico's books to date, I was not expecting much when I first picked it up, especially as I was reading it for a medical ethics module at college. Yet this book rekindled my love of reading, and suddenly, after only reading one story, I was asking for Jody Pico books for my birthday. Many people may be familiar with the storyline, even if they have not read the book, as my sister's keeper shot to fame when the film version hit the cinemas. 13-year-old Anna Fitzgerald was Rhode Island's first genetically engineered baby, created to provide her older sister Kate with a means to survive acute promyelocytic leukemia. However, over the next few years, Kate relapses resulting in Anna going under numerous procedures, such as bone marrow extraction, to save Kate's life. Now things have got so bad that Kate will die unless Anna gives up one of her kidneys, yet unwilling to do this, Anna hires a lawyer, Campbell Alexander, to sue her parents for the rights of her own body. From reading a synopsis, the reader can already see that my sister's keeper is going to be an emotional story, but what made me love the author so much. The story was told from six points of view, Anna, Jesse, older brother, Sarah, mother, Ryan, father, Campbell and Julie, guardian ad litem. Notice that Kate was not one of the narrators, which leads us to speculate from the very start that Anna wins the case and Kate dies. Within the six main characters, there is no antagonist, unless you count cancer, and in all of them, the reader can find something relatable. In one of the chapters, Jesse pronounces that Kate is the martyr, Anna the peacekeeper and himself the lost cause. With Anna, we can recognize the struggle to follow the decisions laid down for us by other people, a time when we have no choice of our own. Jesse represents the times when we have been ignored and forgotten because of bigger or more important events thus resulting in attention-seeking behavior. Brian, the firefighter, the man who wants to save everyone, cannot put out the metaphorical fire plaguing his family. Sarah, 
whose narrative starts in the past rather than the present day, shows us how easy it is to get wrapped up in one problem or daughter, ignoring everything, or everyone, else. One great thing about all Pico's novels is that they are not focused on one storyline. Granted, this book focuses on the trial and Kate's illness, but the inclusion of Campbell and Julia's voices provide an additional subplot. Julia is not thrilled to discover that she will be working alongside Campbell, a person she knew from school with whom she had a difficult past. Since then, Julia has found herself unlucky in love and blames Campbell for this. Campbell, on the other hand, has troubles of his own and needs a service dog with him at all times. Yet, he is self-conscious about people knowing the reason behind this and often comes up with creative lies to stop people from asking questions. Maybe if God gives you a handicap, he makes sure you've got a few extra doses of humor to take the edge off. Another reason Pico's books are so great is that the reader learns something every time. My sister's keeper is full of medical and legal jargon, which may go over some people's heads. Yet, it is also bursting with random bits of knowledge, for example, how to treat a fire, facts about astronomy, and many other interesting details that the characters use as metaphors to describe their experiences. My Sister's Keeper is a story that will stay in people's hearts and minds for a long time. We never learn who the narrator of the prologue was, but we immediately assume that it is Anna and that she wants Kate to die. By the end, we are still unsure who the character was, but if it was Anna, we see it in a completely different light. This is not a book about whether it is ethical for Anna to be Kate Stoner, it is not a cancer story. Instead, it is a message about the right for each person to have choices about their lives. A warning to potential readers, this book could break your heart, shock you or leave you in tears. My Sister's Keeper is full of irony. For instance, Jesse's experimentation with arson, causing fires that are subsequently put out by his father. But the biggest sense of irony and the biggest shock is the ending, FYI this is the complete opposite to the film ending. After everything that Anna has achieved, devastating circumstances result in the same conclusion that it would have had Anna sat back and done nothing. Yet this does not make it a pointless story. Despite Anna's actions almost tearing the family apart, it also wakes them from the stupor that Kate's illness has put them in and makes them realize how precious everything else in their life is too. I highly recommend this book to everyone, and if you have not read a Jodi Pico novel before, I strongly suggest you begin with this one. It is suitable for adult and adolescent readers, especially those who like to think about hypothetical, moral questions. My Sister's Keeper gets you questioning your own choices and actions within your own life and may even make you view the world slightly differently. The Storyteller, Review 2014 Jodi Pico is the best-selling author of numerous novels, with My Sister's Keeper being the most well-known. All of her stories are well-written, although it is still possible to notice improvements in the writing over the years right up until now with her latest, The Storyteller, which quite possibly could be her best yet. Arguably, The Storyteller does not quite read like a typical Jodi Pico novel. This is, in part, because of the nature of the story. Most of her previous books deal with medical ethics and or court cases, whereas this story features neither. The Storyteller contains a combination of past and present, the main focus being on the Holocaust. Four people narrate the novel, two in the present day and two giving an account of their experience during the Second World War. It begins with Sage Singer, a 25-year-old, hermit-like woman with a disfiguring facial scar, the result of a terrible accident, one that also led to the death of her mother. For the past three years, Sage has been participating in a grief group, 
a place where people who have lost loved ones can come together and talk about their feelings. After three years, surely Sage would no longer need the help of the group? However, she still attends, not because she finds it helpful, but for the opposite reason. She even says herself, if it were helpful I wouldn't still be coming. It unfolds that she still blames herself for her mother's death despite the reassurances that it was an accident, and not her fault. It is through the grief group that Sage meets the elderly Joseph Weber. After becoming friendly and discovering that Sage comes from a Jewish family, Joseph confesses to something terrible, he was a Nazi during the war. He killed people. He wants Sage to represent all the Jews he killed and forgive him. Then he wants her to help him die. While Joseph recounts his experience of being part of the Nazi party, Pico provides another account. Minka, Sage's grandmother, describes the terrors she faced as an imprisoned Jew suffering fate such as the deaths of all her family and friends in her time in Auschwitz. Another element of the novel is the vampire story Minka wrote as a teenager. This is interspersed between the other chapters of the book. Unwittingly, Minka's fictional tale reflects the alienation and destruction of the Jews. The final character is Leo who, like Sage, is narrating the present day and trying to locate ex-Nazi members to be punished by the government. One thing to praise Pico for, not just in The Storyteller, but also in all her novels, is the amount of in-depth research she undertakes to make her stories as accurate as possible even though they are fictional. Minka's account was written in such a way that it was almost believable that Pico had been there and experienced it herself. She even learned to bake bread so that she could write from the point of view of a baker. This is pure dedication. The Storyteller is an amazing, beautiful book that informs, shocks and stays with you for a long time. You will question your morals and ability to forgive. Is anyone entirely evil? Is anyone entirely good? Perhaps we are both, so why should anyone have the right to treat others as inferior to themselves? Leaving Time, Review 2015 Jodi Pico keeps getting better and better. Her latest novel, Leaving Time, explores a daughter's search for her mother, who mysteriously disappeared ten years earlier. Jenna Metcalf is a 13-year-old girl living with her grandmother who is determined to discover the whereabouts of her mother, who has not been seen for 10 years since a tragic event at a local elephant sanctuary. Jenna recruits the help of Virgil Stanhope, an ex-policeman who has gone into hiding, and Serenity Jones, a failed psychic. As the three of them look into the events of a decade ago, they begin to piece together possible scenarios resulting in a woman vanishing without a trace. But just as importantly, they try to explain the reasons for a mother to abandon her daughter. Jenna's mother, Alice Metcalf, was a scientist who loved to study the grieving processes of elephants. Although Jenna tells one part of the story, Alice provides the reader with a different story, one of the past, one of Africa, one of elephants. As with many of Pico's novels, Leaving Time is not purely a piece of entertainment, it teaches the reader something new. Through Alice, Pico unleashes a torrent of information about the lives of elephants in Africa and explains their behaviors. She explains what happens to the animals that are captured by circus trainers or zoos, as well as the work a sanctuary may do to save the lives of these creatures. Alice and Jenna are not the only voices of this story. Virgil and Serenity have chapters to describe things from their perceptions. What is great about this is that although the main storyline is about Jenna's search for her mother, Virgil and Serenity provide additional stories alongside it. Jenna's interaction with Virgil helps him deal with his past and come to terms with the mistakes he may have made when investigating the original tragedy at the sanctuary. Likewise, Jenna helps Serenity believe in herself again and to focus less on her past failures.
Pico's writing, as always, is beautiful and sucks the reader into the narrative. It is easy to relate to all the characters in some way and understand a little of what they are going through despite having never been in their situation. Through her ability to do this, Pico engages the readers from beginning to end. Fans of Pico's other novels, such as My Sister's Keeper, will be familiar with Pico's surprising plot twists. Leaving time tops all of those and will leave the reader almost breathless and in awe of Pico's imagination. It is with no doubt that Leaving Time is an excellent novel exploring numerous themes, from a mother's love to the paranormal. It entertains as well as educates, leaving the reader a lot more knowledgeable by the very end. It makes you think, it makes you hope, and it makes you want to keep on reading. Glamour magazine defies us not to be gripped and, after reading it, you will agree that is not entirely possible. 19 Minutes, Review 2016 Your son says the bullying was unbearable. But his revenge was murder. What would you do? 19 Minutes is perhaps Jody Pico's most controversial novel, as well as one of the longest. Lots of things can happen in 19 minutes, including a school shooting resulting in the deaths of 10 people. This is what happens at the beginning of this book, leaving hundreds of teachers and students emotionally scarred for the remainder of their lives. Pico explores the reactions of a community whose ideas of safety have shattered, the grief of the victims and their families and, perhaps most importantly, the heartache of the parents of the shooter. 17-year-old Peter Houghton has had enough of the bullying that he has endured throughout his entire school life. He has no friends, is constantly miserable, possibly suicidal, and so, on a typical morning in March 2007, he decides to permanently fix the situation, unthinking of the consequences. But why did he go to such extremes? What circumstances in his life led to firing a gun as the only solution? As the evidence is gathered in the lead-up to the court trial, many characters question their involvement in Peter's life. Firstly there is Josie Cormier, a straight-A student who swapped her childhood friendship with Peter for popularity and her boyfriend Matt, a particularly aggressive bully. Secondly, there is Alex Cormier, Josie's mother, who destroyed her friendship with Peter's mother after finding their five-year-old children playing with guns in the Houghton's basement. If Peter's father had never owned a selection of hunting rifles, would Peter ever have thought of guns as a way out of his predicament? On the other hand, Lacey Houghton blames herself for not noticing how badly her son was suffering, not just at school but home as well, where he had to live up to the memory of his saint-like older brother who died in a car crash the previous year. Naturally, a tragic event such as this changes people, but not always in a negative way. Relationships begin to blossom as characters realize how close they were to losing the ones they love. Alex takes a step back from her demanding job to comfort Josie in the aftermath, thus feeling closer to her than she ever has done before. Alex, a single mother, also opens herself up to a romantic relationship, something she has had no time to consider up until now. All the while, defense attorney Jordan McAfee, who some readers may remember from Salem Falls, fights a losing battle to get Peter acquitted by arguing and prying into Peter's emotions to discover his reason for committing murder. What I like about Pico's novels is that there is more to them than a simple storyline. While the story plays out and plot twists happen, the reader is learning something new. In 19 minutes, Pico provides insight into midwifery, psychology and economics, things that are not synonymous with the shootings. Readers will constantly question whose side of the story they are on. Hundreds of people grow up being bullied and will understand how Peter was feeling, yet they would not pick up a gun. Likewise, by putting themselves in the shoes of the victims, readers will think about how they would feel in the same situation, 
However, would anyone be willing to admit that they made someone else's life a living hell? There is no simple conclusion to 19 minutes, someone will always lose. Nevertheless, Pico's fantastic writing skills provide an enthralling story of love and loss. I cannot recommend this book to readers in general due to the nature of the themes found in the story. Gun crime and school shootings are sadly still an occurrence in the present time, particularly in America, therefore, there are thousands of people who have been affected by such an event, whether directly or indirectly, as part of a local community. Some readers may find 19 minutes challenging and upsetting, which is why I am not going to encourage everyone to read this book. However, Pico has excelled herself with this novel, and it would be a shame for people not to read it. Fans will not be disappointed with her writing and will love all her characters, possibly even Peter. Small Great Things, Review 2017 Jodi Pico has been my favorite author since I first came across her novels in 2008. With 23 novels under her belt, she continues to delight readers with her page-turning stories. Most of Pico's books contain a moral issue, often, but not always, in the form of medical ethics, as well as a hefty court case. Although following along similar lines, Small Great Things is a radical, revolutionary book which, with great courage, Pico has written with the intent to expose the reader to truths that most of us, as a society, are intentionally oblivious to. The gist of the storyline is a baby dies whilst under the care of a nurse, prompting the grieving parents to take her to court with the accusation of murder. Although that sounds like an interesting story, it barely begins to describe what the book is about. The character on trial, Ruth is an African-American labor and delivery nurse. In this day and age, race is not so much of an issue. Yet, the parents of the baby are white supremacists, seriously racist with the belief that white people are the master race. The father, Turk, refuses to let his wife and child be treated by Ruth, but circumstances result in her being the only nurse available to watch Davis. Unfortunately, it is at this moment that the baby happens to go into cardiac arrest. Although the reader knows that Ruth is not at fault, Turk insists she murdered his child, but is he accusing her of medical negligence or punishing her for being black? Three characters, all with different views and experiences when it comes to racism, alternately narrate small great things. Ruth and Turk represent the extremes on either side of the scale. Ruth experiences firsthand the negative impact of prejudice in the American system and society, not only through this court case but in everyday life as well. She also reveals the difficulties growing up in a predominantly white environment, never feeling like she fitted in with her peers. On the other hand, Turk spent his teenage years attending KKK rallies, participating in a white power movement, and beating up anyone different, black, foreign, gay, Jewish and so forth. The third character represents the majority of white people living in America. Kennedy is a public defender and the lawyer assigned to Ruth's case. Like most of the population, she believes that she is not racist and persuades Ruth to leave the color of her skin out of the argument. However, as she gets to know her client, she realizes that it is nigh on impossible to ignore racial prejudice. Tico shocks the reader on two accounts, one, the way that people of color have been, and still are, treated, and two, the revelation that an invisible empire of white supremacists is living amongst us. Yet, there is a third way in which Pico provokes outrage, she indirectly accuses the reader of being racist, too. There is always something to learn in a Jody Pico novel, for instance, medical terminology or how a court trial is conducted. Small Great Things provides more eye-opening information than her previous books, unveiling facts about such a controversial subject. 
Through Kennedy, the reader's eyes are open to the racial discrimination, to which we all turn a blind eye. Ignored are the difficulties African Americans suffer when going shopping, applying for jobs, attending school, walking down the street, sitting on a bus, and so forth. Tico asks me as a reader to think about how my life has been affected by racial discrimination, being served politely in shops because I am white, not having my ethnicity questioned when applying for college etc. Living in Britain, I have not experienced openly hateful comments or behaviors towards people with a different skin tone, I used to believe this was primarily an American problem. Yet, small great things has made me think about the hierarchy of power within society, particularly in regards to the ethnicity of those at the top, compared with those at the bottom. Jody Pico sat on the idea of writing a book about racism for well over a decade, yet, it is particularly apt that it is published now, with the current predicaments America is facing. Although we have come a long way in attempts to achieve equality for all, compare the trial in To Kill a Mockingbird to Pico's version, recent events have revealed that we are nowhere near. Small great things will shock everyone who reads it regardless of their ethnicity and so forth. Many may find it uncomfortable to read, become upset or outraged, and even feel like they are being directly targeted. If this is the case, then good, it should do that. Everyone needs to read this book. On the one hand, it is a brilliant, well-told story with a beautiful, almost poetic narrative and, on the other, it causes us to face up to the issues we are forever making light of or overlooking entirely. We have grown up believing that racism is a form of hatred when really it is about power. However small great things makes you feel, it is worth reading, especially for the satisfying ending, one that you do not see coming. Handle with Care, Review 2015 As with most of Jody Pico's novels, Handle with Care contains a deeply moral issue regarding abortion, especially in the case of the baby having a life-debilitating illness. Willow O'Keefe is six years old but only looks half that age. Suffering from osteogenesis imperfecta, brittle bones disease, Willow will never live a normal life. After a disastrous trip to Disneyland, Sean O'Keefe plans to sue the authorities for the way he and his wife, Charlotte, were treated after Willow broke yet another bone. However, once Charlotte learns about wrongful birth lawsuits, she decides to take action against her obstetrician with the argument that Willow's diagnosis could have been discovered earlier in her pregnancy, the issue with this is it involves suing her best friend. Tico explores the arguments for and against what Charlotte is doing, and delves into how it affects the people involved. Friendships are broken, and relationships are damaged. As her family is torn apart, Willow feels unwanted and worried that she is the cause of all the tension. Through it all, Charlotte's older daughter, Amelia, gets forgotten about and develops harmful ways of coping, bulimia. The story is not solely based on the O'Keefe family. Tico includes the character Marin, an attorney, and her search for her birth mother. This contrasts with the theme of abortion and makes the reader question the rights and wrongs of the dilemma. Throughout the novel, Tico creates a sense of foreboding. The narrative is written as if being spoken to Willow, however, the use of past tense implies that something horrible befalls her later in the book, regardless of the court case outcome. Handle with Care is a novel that makes you think and plays with your emotions. Readers have a chance to develop their own opinions by reading the different characters' perspectives. Another way in which Pico connects with the reader is with the inclusion of recipes for baked goods. Charlotte used to be a baker before Willow was born, therefore, these extra bits fit well with the story. The recipes are also something readers could try out at home. Jody Pico is a brilliant author with imaginative, thought-provoking ideas. 
Handle with Care fits in well with her other novels. It is quick to read, gripping and not quickly forgotten. This is a definite read for someone interested in ethical issues and those who like a novel that makes them think. The Tenth Circle, Review 2016 Admittedly I do not think this is one of Jodi Pico's best novels, however, that does not mean that The Tenth Circle is not a good book. Like all her stories, a large part of the storyline is about relationships, in this case, between father and daughter. On the other hand, The Tenth Circle stands out from the others as being a little different. When Daniel Stone's 14-year-old daughter Trixie accuses her ex-boyfriend of rape, he becomes an overprotective father, determined to keep his child from any more harm. What begins as a rape case spirals into a murder case with Daniel as the prime suspect. Suddenly the police turn to Trixie as an alternative suspect, and frightened of being accused, she runs away to Alaska, a place Daniel grew up as a child, a place he has been running away from all his life. In a way, the Tenth Circle feels like two different stories, the rape and murder, and the flight to Alaska. Although the rape-slash-murder case is the key focus of the plot, this story is also an insight into the relationship between father and daughter, and husband and wife. The real mistake he made was believing that you could lose someone in an instant, when in reality, it was a process that took months, years. Lifetime. Despite the Stone's world turning upside down after a single event, Daniel realizes that he was losing his daughter a long time before that. She was growing up and keeping secrets. He barely knew the real Trixie. Likewise, his wife, Laura, was also keeping her fair share of secrets. What made the Tenth Circle different from Pico's other novels is the inclusion of a comic book. It is an example of Daniel's work as a comic book penciler, illustrated by Dustin Weaver in real life. This short graphic story represents Daniel and Trixie's relationship. A daughter goes missing, and her father goes through hell and back to find her. It is interesting to compare the two stories and understand how Daniel feels. This comic book also allows the reader to have some fun. Within the illustrations are hidden letters, that when put together, spell out a quotation. It is the reader's job to find and solve this puzzle. Hell is a theme that kept coming up in this novel. As some may realize, the Tenth Circle is a brief reference to Dante's Divine Comedy. Dante believed there were nine circles of hell, each one representing a sin. Pico has added a Tenth Circle, a circle for people who lie to themselves. The topic of hell is emphasized through Laura Stone, a professor at Monroe College, Maine. She lectures on classics, particularly on Dante's Inferno. Pico constantly alludes to this as a metaphor for the life Daniel and Trixie are experiencing. Reading The Tenth Circle for a second time, I found I did not enjoy it as much. The element of surprise and plot twists were lost, as I already knew what was going to happen. For first readers, however, all of that is still to be experienced. Some may be put off or triggered by the rape content, but rest assured that Pico deals with this delicate topic in the best way possible. As fans will already know, you cannot read a Jodi Pico book without learning something new. In this instance, you learn about Dante, forensic investigation and Yupik Eskimos, including intriguing words in the Yupik language. Due to this, Pico's writing is interesting to read, as well as delightful and meaningful due to her powerful metaphors. Before reading this book, however, bear in mind that it contains rape, self-harm, drugs, suicide and murder. If any of the subjects are too upsetting, then I suggest you avoid this novel. On the other hand, if you are okay with delicate topics, I say go for it. The Pact, Review 2016 Your son says they both meant to die. But he lived. 
What would you do? As fans will already be aware, most of Jody Pico's novels involve a what if or what would you do? Scenario. The pact is no different. This book contains all the elements you expect to find in a Pico story, an ethical dilemma, family, relationships, love. However, the pact is one of her more challenging reads, and it still was for me, reading it a second time. Bainbridge, New Hampshire is an idyllic town that oozes a sense of security and safeness, it does not seem possible for crime to exist there. For a long time, that was the case, with the Hart and Gold family living as neighbors in a pragmatic family environment. Chris Hart and Emily Gold grew up together. They knew each other from birth and remained friends ever since, becoming intimate on reaching their teens. But suddenly, this serene atmosphere is shattered after 17-year-old Emily is found dead after being shot through the head, with Chris covered in blood beside her. Despite defending himself by claiming that it was a joint suicide pact gone wrong, Chris is on trial for first-degree murder. The defense and the prosecution have to look deeply into the supposed crime and the events that lead up to it. Was Emily suicidal even though no one noticed? Did Chris love her, or was there a motive for murder? Whilst Chris anxiously awaits his verdict, the two families, the Hartess and the Golds, instead of pulling together in their time of grief, begin to crumble apart. That is the general gist of the story, however, as with any Pico book, there are smaller, subtle storylines dropped in here and there. The most prominent of these is the life of the defense attorney, Jordan McAfee, and his private investigator, Selena Damascus, two names that may be familiar to avid readers. These two are recurring characters in a couple of other novels by the same author. Instead of only being names dropped into a story for convenience sake, they have lives of their own. By reading all the books containing the pair, readers get to know them well and witness their growing relationship, providing they are read in the correct order, of course. As for the key plot, the botched suicide pact, the story is told from a variety of perspectives, although all in the third person, from both after the event and before, going as far back as 1979, the year Emily was born, up until the present day, 1997. Naturally, the characters are going to reflect on the recent incidents to understand what has happened, but it is necessary to delve deeper into the past so that the reader can understand Chris and Emily's relationship. It would be rather difficult otherwise to know who Emily was without any background knowledge, especially as she is already dead on the first page. Pico tackles the suicide theme delicately, showing full awareness that it is a difficult concept for people to read. She uses her characters to reveal the different ways people or societies react to the idea that someone would want to take their own life. The divide in the belief that suicide is either intrinsically right or wrong is evident from the characters who support Chris and those who accuse him of murder, maintaining that there was no way Emily would willingly take her own life. Some witnesses brought to the stand during the trial speak of suicide and depression from a medical and psychological point of view fueled by the in-depth research that Pico has undertaken. Visiting a prison and experiencing what life is like for the inmates is an example of how far Pico is willing to go to make her novels as realistic as possible. As mentioned earlier, the pact provokes the thought, what would you do? By engaging the reader in this way, Pico encourages people to develop their interpretations and opinions about the storyline. She leaves hints and clues lying around to nudge our minds in a variety of directions. What was it that made Emily suicidal? Could her relationship with Chris, who for a long time was like a brother to her, be confusing the way she feels towards him and her family. Are there other factors? As for the outcome of the trial, readers will take either the prosecutor's or the defense's side, 
despite most of the book written in a way that paints Chris as wrongly accused. Tico admits in an interview that even she was not sure how it should end and only made the decision by thinking about what the majority of readers would favor and the amount of hate mail she would receive if she did the opposite. There is no denying that The Pact is a difficult book to read. Anyone who has experienced depression or suicidal thoughts will relate to Emily and Chris's predicament, which may be too much to handle for some readers. On the other hand, if you have picked up this book knowing what to expect from Pico's writing, then you are less likely to be as shocked by the narrative. This is a book that will make you feel many emotions and question your own beliefs and opinions. Although not as beautifully written as her more recent novels, the pact will suck you into the storyline and not let go until a long while after you have read the last page. Be prepared. Dash. My blogs are now available to listen to as podcasts on the following platforms, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Spotify. If you would like to support my blog, become a Patreon from pound5 slash m or buy me a coffee for three pounds. Thank you.